0: Welcome to the Launch University Podcast, turning good intentions into reality in your career, business, and life. Here's your host, Jeff Henderson.
1: Hey everybody, Jeff Henderson here with you, and today's question is, have you ever worked for and with a life-giving leader, and have you ever worked for and with a life-draining leader? Kevin Jennings, you go first. Just kidding. You don't have to answer that. (laughs) I was was like...
0: uh... I plead the fifth.
1: <laughs> so today we're going to uh, work uh, and, and meet with my very good friend Tyler Reagan, who is the director of Catalyst. But Tyler, you and I go way back. Way like, back. That was fifteen years. Yeah. So I think we first met when you were at Athens Church. That's right.
2: right? Yeah. When we started Athens Church, and I got to know you. you and Sean were good friends. Yeah. And yeah. And, just then friends Bridge, since then.
1: and then Brownsbridge, you and then you've done this massive work with Catalyst. For those that aren't familiar with Catalyst, obviously, if you're and depending on when you're listening to this, but we're recording this a few weeks before Catalyst yeah. launches. Tell folks what Catalyst is, and then we're going to dive into Life Giving Leader.
2: Yeah, it's kind of crazy. It's uh, This year's the 19 year anniversary of Catalyst. Next year's 20, which wow. is hard to believe. And, wow. Um, it started, John Maxwell started it uh, right here, right down the street at North Point. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, Basically, uh, the way I understand it is, as he was getting older, so were the people attending his events, and he was like, "I want to make sure I always invest in the next generation of leaders." So that's when he tapped that guy on the shoulder. Well, you know, and Andy and Reggie were in that conversation, going, "Hey, John, we got it." We got right, to do this, and right. I don't even know who you know—the chicken or the egg. I don't know who started, but I know that uh, it was under enjoy for a while, and and then it became its own thing. And so, for the past 19 years, we've tried to serve leaders who love the church, leaders who, uh, whether you're a banker, you work at a, you know a corporate environment, or you're a pastor. We believe as Christians, we're called to lead and lead well, and um, and so that's what we we spend our days. We do. Two really big events, uh, Catalyst Atlanta, which is the one in a few weeks, right. and then Catalyst West Coast. And then we do one day events, a bunch of content, webinars, those kind of things, just trying to serve leaders year round. And so um, it's really an interesting, fun job. I feel like I'm still a pastor, even though I'm not on staff at a local church, but I do it because I, 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 I could not believe more in the local church. It, it's why we do what we do. And mm-hmm. so, um, and the local church doesn't have to be the building, it's, it's us. Right. You know, it's what we're doing in our job. So that's a little bit what we do. We just,
1: out there trying to serve leaders. And thousands of leaders, and not, not just in Atlanta, but as you mentioned, all, really all, all over yeah. the country. And then you have such a huge followership online yeah. as well. And so today, what we want to do in the podcast, we actually want to go through three areas, and I think this will connect to all of you, but maybe one of these will connect more specifically. We're going to talk about the life-giving leaders, some mm-hmm. principles that we can implement as life-giving leaders versus life-draining leaders. Yeah. and And then we're going to talk about Relaunching something, and you relaunched the brand, and, and we're going to talk a little bit about that as it relates to Catalyst. So, if you um, if you're coming into an existing organization, we 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 call many of you entrepreneurs. You, you you may not want to go start your own thing, but you're you want to create innovation and change within an existing organization. How do you relaunch and start something that you are handed? We'll talk about that. And then Tyler's coming out with a brand new book, and we want to just talk about the the principles of launching a book, because yeah. many of our listeners maybe want to write a book, yeah, uh, and the, even if they don't want to write a book, they are general principles, whether it's a book, a company, a church, or whatever, sure. that you've probably learned. So the book's coming out, Life-Giving Leader. So let's start here, then yeah. we'll go to Catalyst, then we'll talk about some principles of launching the book. Why, why did you write Life-Giving Leader? Well, this is, and even as you're talking about, some people, you know,
2: that Never write a book. 15-year-old Tyler that grew up 20 minutes from here, if you would have told me that I'd write a book, especially a leadership book one day, I would have been like, no, I might go to the moon, but I'm not going to write a book. (laughs) My 420 on the SAT in English probably helped confirm that that would never happen. It's just not, I'm not a writer per se, but over the years, even when I was with you guys and we were part of the church, uh, I really fell in love with leadership. I just, um, through people like Andy sitting at the table with Andy, you, Fran Lamatine, I mean, people that just spoke leadership and talked about, I did always know that as I had a responsibility to take care of the people around me. That's kind of what I knew. And I feel like one of the ways God continued, and it's it's really the the main, one of the main points of this whole book is that uh, when life flows, influence grows. Mm. So many people have three people in front of them right now. And they they want twenty, hmm. and they're frustrated because they only have three. Right. And the truth is, it's how you steward those three hmm. that's going to dictate if you get twenty. Right. Well. Wow. And, and and it's not just am I leading them to make sure that project gets done well? Am I? It's are you caring for them? You know, as I mentioned, John Maxwell, he always says people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Mm-hmm. Jeff, I think um, when in one of the people that I would say has shown me what it means to love people well and bring life to the people around them is you. The way that you serve your teams, the way you serve your family. I've watched you you know, love your kids well. Like And so for me, you're an example of this kind of leader who just chooses to bring life and, and let life flow from you. It doesn't stop with you. Mm-hmm. And, and the, the concept also came from at our events, we say consistently, Lord, would grace and life flow from our stage and not be required for our stage? So in other mm-hmm. words, if you've ever been to an event and it's bad, well, that takes something from you. We're actually taking from you. Same thing with leadership. If I have a leader who's not leading well, they're taking from me. Like the leaders that keep teams, the leaders that grow and influence, they just have a way of life and grace flowing from them. And you want to be around leaders like mm-hmm. that. You just do. They're attractive, and there's a lot of reasons for that. So it came from me and just this recognition. and then and then fast forward to leading catalyst. I, for the first two years, I made fun of it. I was like, the Lord has a ridiculous sense of humor. Why would He put me in this position? And then I started realizing I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm in a way I'm dishonoring the Lord's call in my life because I'm making fun of the fact that He would put somebody like me. And I started digging in. What, what was it about what I've done in the past? And I, I think Jeff, you know, you, you know me well enough. Um, I've just tried to take care of the the people in the circle right. that God's given me, right. and I have a really good friend. I'm heading up uh, to the Belonging Coats Church in Nashville, and Alex Seeley's the pastor. Her and her husband. She, uh, she recalls when they started their uh, church, it was in the basement of their house, and one night they had five people, five. And she said it was one of the most incredible worship experiences they've mm-hmm. ever had. And she said she recalls looking at the five going, Lord, if the rest of my life I'm called to pastor these five people, I'm okay with that. Mm-hmm. I think that's the posture of, of recognizing that when life flows, I've got five.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And if it ever turns into 50, okay. But if it's just five, I need to be okay with that. God's got something for that. So it's just kind of that understanding of, I have a sphere of influence that I'm responsible for, and that's our leadership journey. So anybody that says they're not a leader, that's not true. Mm -hmm. Leadership is influence. So whatever circle of influence you have, that's your leadership responsibility.
1: Mm -hmm. And I think the reality for many people is that the life-giving leader, unfortunately, might be an exception for them. Yeah. Why, Why is that, do you think? It's harder.
2: Yeah. It, require, you know, it takes things, more time. It does. <laughs> things of value require sacrifice. And a lot of leaders are, are thinking about themselves. A lot of leaders are thinking, gosh, that means I've got to get to know the people I lead. Yeah, it does. <laughs> that means I need, when, when there's a conflict, I have to handle it well. Yeah, mm-hmm. you do. It's a long play. I think that's a big part of it. It's not mm-hmm. low-hanging fruit. This is going, I'm in this for the long haul with you, and we're going to journey on this together for whatever season God's put us together, or, you know... Um, it's, it's just it's harder. And I think the other big piece that I've always recognized, a lot of people say they're not a leader. Mm-hmm. I think that's the other thing that holds them back. And, and again, we describe leadership as influence. It's that simple. If you have influence, which you do with one, two, four other people, then you have a leadership responsibility. And that's what you have to think about as you're thinking about what am I doing with the people around me. So I, I just think it's harder, but it's worth it. Mm-hmm. Things have, I remember buying a car when I turned 16, I saved 700 bucks. It was the ugliest Toyota Corolla you've ever seen. It had nasty purple tint on the windows. But it was, it meant something to right. me because I, I sacrificed for it. And then it broke down two weeks later and it never worked again. <laughs> but it's still, you know, I mean, it's 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 something about sacrificing is, is things of value
1: require that. I think the organization you're leading is a great example of that because, John Maxwell certainly could have held on. Mm-hmm. And, and the older generation has a tendency to criticize the, the upcoming generation. Sure. But instead, he kind of moved out and said, hey, I, I want to help the next generation. And that may require me kind of exiting out yeah. and, and handing leadership. That's a, and now here you are leading. That's a yeah. life-giving leader. Yeah. Oh, John is,
2: I mean, you've, I've never met, honestly, I've never met somebody who knows John well, who doesn't say, that guy has given me everything. He's the most generous with his time with his money, with his influence, with all of those things. And um, so he definitely did that. And then, but you're right. I also know for every one John, there's seven not John. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And and what I'm sitting here going is we can't leave the church. We can't leave our organizations. We can't leave our businesses to that legacy that one in 10 are really good life-giving leaders. You know, I I want it to be 10 out of 10. Like, what does that look like?
0: You mentioned a moment ago, Tyler, that for a lot of individuals, it's the it's the pressure of I don't I don't have time to give this extra effort required. Are there any other reasons you think people would are, you know, for that one in no one out of ten, yeah. why the other nine aren't liking leaders? Yeah. Because I think that when someone hears the concept, whether or not they want to make the adjustment, they're gonna say, Yeah, that sounds awesome. Like I would love for people to think of me in mm-hmm. this way. I don't think most leaders want to be despised or, or, you know, by their teams. So I'm curious as to what you've seen or observed that stands in the way that keeps that ratio the way it is.
2: I have two thoughts. One is I actually think you don't have time not to Hmm. like, if you're going to lead a great organization, if you don't take care of your people and love them well, you're going to spend more time rehiring than you are going to spend taking it. People just don't recognize it. it takes away from the mission. Like if you're all mission driven and you're going yet, yeah, but you're burning through people like it's like it's your job. You know how much time if you invest in somebody for a year and they leave, that sets you back significantly financially and with just momentum. Sure. Why not spend a little bit of time and take care of those people, make them want to stay, make them. My, here's my my. Uh, I felt this when I was at Brownsbridge too. Was um, I always said when God calls me from here, I want it to be. That I'm going, I do not want to leave this place because I love it. Or if they're on my team, same thing. I don't want to leave because I love it, but God's called me to leave. That that for me has kind of been the thing. And so um, I I can, I mean, from what I can tell in the last six years or five years of being at Catalyst, on on one hand, maybe the staff that just left because they weren't loving it or it was the right wrong job, but most people have left going, I don't want to leave. They're in tears. They're like, I don't want to leave, but I know God's calling me. Well, that that to me is a win. Mm-hmm. That we've created a place where, and and you got to hold people like that. So the first thing is, I, I think uh, you don't have time not to. Like this sure. is this is more important than your fifteen minutes of making sure your email got done. Like yeah. like it's a big deal. Um, I think the other thing is just um, nobody has it modeled. Hmm. There's just, and that's why those few rise to the top. The ones that really are life-giving to people, they continue to rise and influence because people go, "I, what, what are they doing?" And I'm not going to speak for you, Jeff, but I bet you would say similar things. But it's not a competency thing.
0: Hmm.
2: It's a care thing. It's figuring out, man. You know, I, I know Jeff's assistant really well, and he's learned Kristen. Kristen is different than Lauren, and Kristen is different than Al, and I mean mm-hmm. she just di- so leading Kristen takes some time to know how do I lead her differently than these other people. Again, when you confront people, you can't confront them in the way that you want to be confronted. You got to confront them in the way that they're going to receive it best. Yeah, that takes a little extra step, yeah. but it's worth it because it's a long play. If you take care of Kristen now, Kristen stays with you for how long? Jeff,
1: Uh, 15 years, 15 years,
2: Mm -hmm. because day in and day out, Jeff's made little deposits and has been life-giving to her. People ask me about some of the leaders that I get to engage with and who who impresses me. Well, Brian Houston from Hillsong is one of the most impressive leaders I've ever been around. And the reason I, I believe that is I know four or five of his key inner circle global directors who are some of the highest capacity leaders I've ever met, and they've been with him 20 plus years. He can, I don't care how he preaches, I don't care any of that. The fact that he can hold those high capacity leaders for that long tells you that he gives life to those people. Wow. And they're respectful of him, they love him. And anytime you interact with a Hillsong band, any of that, they all carry that same DNA. Wow.
1: And it's it's really, that shows you that's a special kind of leader, you know? Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the reasons why our mutual friend, Cheryl Botchelder, she led the turnaround at Popeye's. Uh, fast food restaurant, she, she talks about this and the fact that it's, it just, it's it takes time. It does. And in a busy world, we don't have time to sit down with people and go, so how you doing? What's going yeah. on? But she goes, that kind of, the the efficiency drive that organizations have and must have mm-hmm. to some extent, it's it's pushing out the people part of this. Yes. And it's undermining the organization in the yep. process. She has this great story where she, she came in and asked her franchisees, when do we do our best work? And they said, oh, that's simple. That's easy. When you show up with a PowerPoint presentation and run through it and tell us the answers, that's not when we do our best work. (laughs) When you show up with a flip chart and two markers and we work on this together and it takes more time and we build the answer together, that's when we do our best work. So I think that that's an example of what you're saying. It's going to take time. It does. And it's going to sometimes, you know, I've discovered people are messy. What? <laughs> We're not messy at all, right? <laughs>
2: but, but people are not an interruption to our day. I think that's the biggest problem right. is we see people, they're they're interrupting my tasks that I've got to get done. And wow. if you want to move to to the ministry context, churches are notoriously bad about this. Mm-hmm. We gotta make sure Sunday happens. Oh, we just walked by 18 people on the way to make sure Sunday happens. Mm-hmm. Well, they are why we do what we do. We tell I tell my team, like in three weeks on the Monday before, I'll say, Here's the two jobs. Number one is you're gonna have fun. If you don't have fun, and you're not supposed to say you're fired, but if you don't have fun, I mean, that's how important it is to me because if we're not having fun, nobody's having fun. Mm-hmm. But the second thing is that nobody's an interruption to our day. We are existing to serve. And if somebody, if you're only if you have a time sensitive project or task, but even then, you need to take the extra step and go, I wanna hear what you have to say. I need. I've got to go finish this, but I'm going to come find you later. I'd love to hear what you got to say. Mm-hmm. It just it says something to people when you recognize. Oh, by the way, it doesn't matter. I don't care what business you're in. Mm-hmm. They are why you do what you do, mm-hmm. and so we just can't let we can't let them we can't see them as an interruption to our day.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I, I know we I know you want to cover a lot of lenses, and I know. So I have one final question before you probably move move into another section of this, Jeff. But you said most people don't have it modeled, and I and I. I would agree. Uh, but I also feel like someone who's probably listening saying, Tyler, I, you're right. It's never a model for me. I've always felt like leadership should be done differently. Yeah. But I don't know what that looks like. What, you know, beyond the book, which will, first of all, buy the book, but the next step, you know, what, what will be something you would say, hey, if you don't have a model, here's what, something I might recommend to start the process yeah. of maybe discovering what it looks like to be a life-giving leader. You
2: know, you know, uh, <clears throat> you were mentioning Cheryl, Simon Sinek's book, um, Leaders Eat Last, he talks about the fact that in the 80s, there was this major shift in business to basically thinking about people and feeling for numbers. And he was saying that was just a, a terrible shift in business. It was basically, it was the Jack Welch world, which was numbers matter more. We feel more connected to numbers than people. So people just became a, oh, cut, cut, cut until we get this right. And, and you you see that now. Most people don't stay at a company longer, two, three years at the most. Most people in their 20s, including Gen X, not just millennials. Amen, we brother. Had, we had four or five jobs <laughs> before we turned 30. But by the year 2020, the, the gig economy, which means everybody's got 40% of the workforce is going to be in the gig economy. They're going to be working three or four different organizations as contractors or freelancers. So we have to recognize it's changing. But even those who are going into four or five different organizations have to see they're not just going in for projects, they're going in for people. And so what Simon's point is we've got to switch it back to where we feel for people and we think about numbers. And, and to me, that's where, it, look, I just don't want to get to the end of my life and there not be anybody around. Mm-hmm. Who cares if I'm worth millions of dollars? Who cares if I've done a ton of great things? If there is nobody in the circle that's, that's a way, That's a regret for me. That's, and, and I think we'd all say that. Mm-hmm. And the number of older, and I, I write about this in the book about that life-giving leaders are healthy, and one of the ways I can tell you if they're healthy is if they have good friends. Because mm. I have a ton of seminary professors, of leaders I know who are in their, my parents, you know, in-laws, whatever, who are in their 60s, 70s, and they don't have any close friends. I don't want Catalyst, North Point, any title ever on my tombstone. All I want is husband, father, and friend. If I can do those three things well... Then I feel like the rest
1: of it will kind of take care of itself. Mm -hmm. And you talk about that in terms of learning to lead from your truest self. I think many times as leaders we feel like we have to be someone else other than ourselves. So how do we learn to lead from who we are and to be comfortable with that? Yeah, there was a. I
2: think I heard this from Andy the first time. uh, Andy Stanley, the first time I ever heard it. But there was this. uh, I read the article. This lady was a hospice nurse in Australia, and for seven years she would she would uh, interview people on their deathbed about what their biggest regret in life was. And the number one, not even close second, number one was I was never who I really wanted to be. Ugh. That's a sad, I mean, Ugh. but it's true, because if you think about it, how many people do we know that end up acting like the circumstance requires, the people require, the, the job requires, the whatever, they don't feel like they can be themselves. And um, this happened to me years ago. I had a leader tell me that if I wasn't successful, it was probably just my personality. Well that's a little painful. That stings a little bit. <laughs> and in that moment was a life it was a life altering leadership moment for me because I, I thought about Psalm 139 which simply says I was knit together in my mother's womb. God knit me together while looking at the breadth of my life. And again it was funny even when the publisher was like is this going to be a faith-based book and I was like that's kind of all I know. So I you know and even if you're listening and and faith is is something you're you're wondering about for me, this is the, it's just the scope that I've come through. And so that's why I talk about it like that. But I also believe that we were, we weren't a mistake and so many people spend their life in tension because how they uniquely were wired and created and made is a counter to what they're doing right now. And if you just go forget the faith based side for a minute, if I hire anybody and they're working 60, 50, 60% of the time in learn behavior, they're going to be exhausted and miserable. But people spend their lives doing that and um one of the ways i like to describe it is taylor guitars or acoustic guitars Mm -hmm. they have a patent on the neck of their guitar because it's so uniquely designed so i've done this exercise actually before when i've spoken i'll have somebody come up who's never played a guitar in their life and have them try to play this incredibly well-designed beautiful instrument and it's horrible like the tension i feel watching them try to even hold the guitar is painful. But I've been around leaders. who I feel that same tension and I know they do internally because they're not making the right sound. Mm. But when you hear somebody play that guitar the way it's designed, it's gorgeous. What if we had businesses full of men and women and leaders who made the right sounds, who were being played the way they were designed? The most life-giving men and women I've ever been around are okay with who they are. Now, they're going to grow and they're going to get better, mm-hmm. but I think they're, they're comfortable in their skin mm-hmm. and they're almost a little bit proud of their uniqueness. And the, the very thing, if you look at Right Path, which is an assessment we've, uh, we've done at North Point for years, the thing that the leader who told me my personality was part of the problem, what he didn't like was I'm not high and precise and organized. But the opposite of precise and organized is instinct and improvisation. You want to know the two greatest qualities for me as a producer at Catalyst? It's those two qualities right there. So the, mm-hmm. the very thing that I was like kind of, ah, that's not a good, is the thing that has made me good at what I do. Wow. So it, it's just recognizing that. And for me, I can't stay where I'm trying to be precise and organized. That's a bad decision. Now, I can't act like it doesn't exist and just be like, sorry, y'all, I'm
1: never going to get a detail right in my right. life.
2: But so I just feel like that those who bring the most life they have it in them because they're okay. They're not fighting this constant struggle of "I'm not myself." Like I'm fighting this tension. I sound right. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah.
1: And that's what you've done, really, in, in your years at Catalyst. Now, and in terms of you know, you you moved it from a for-profit to nonprofit entity. All of that, kind of relaunched it. Yeah. So let's um, obviously we're not moving from the book because these are principles of the book. But tell us about. Your years at Catalyst, um, you followed another former Launch University podcast guest, Brad Lominet, yep. who kind of helped the transition from John and for sure, Gabe, who's doing great work with you. So, tell us about what you've done to kind of yeah. imprint what you wanted to do at Catalyst, and a lot of changes have happened over the last few years. Sure, I think one of the hardest things to do is inherit somebody else's influence, it's just a it's a
2: people say you have said that all the time when you, hiring a team is very different than inheriting a team
0: yes <laughs> it sure. just is
2: it requires very different leadership skill set how long do you honor the past without being crippled by the past how long do you wait before you implement your ideas and and I remember being really specific about and Brad had actually brought me over for a year before he he, he was still leading and I was he asked me to come over and create a healthy culture there which um, You know, And and to Brad's credit, still leading it while he was letting me come in and make some changes, that takes a lot of courage and a lot of leadership. And so when I was approached about just taking over the role, uh, it was a yes, which I probably should have spent more time thinking about it because this is hard. (laughs) It was really hard, especially because of how public this thing is. Moving a public platform is very uh, interesting, to say the least. But I also knew that it was a 14-year-old brand that needed some – Something, you know, whatever that was. Um, I think one of the unique things for me, and it goes back to me being okay with me, is I had come into Catalyst going, God, if you want me to lead it, then it has to be through the unique way that you've wired me. Mm -hmm. And so I remember telling a couple longtime staff, one in particular, we were going into the spring that year. I'd taken over three in October so that next, the following January, and I just sat the, the team in a circle and I laid out my six expectations to be on the team. Forget catalyst for a minute. If you're going to be in this culture, here are the six things, and none of them are competency-related. They're all character-related. We're going to treat people like this. You know, it's Andy's talk, trust versus suspicion. It's uh, you, I can't grow your professional leadership. You have to do that. Now I'm going to devote you and I'm going to push you, but it's your responsibility is not my responsibility. Like just a couple of those things. And then I made the team look at each other and I said, you need to look eyeball to eyeball with each other. Because if you do this, if you sit in this circle, then you are agreeing to this standard and I'm not going to be the only one to hold you accountable. A good team holds each other accountable. So if a peer comes to you and goes, Hey, by the way, the way you just acted is counter to that it it dropped below the standard we've agreed to, whoo, how much more, Umph is there, there, you're used to the boss calling you out on that. But when your right. peers do that, so, but I went to, and so after I'd done that, I went to one of the staff in particular who was Brad's right hand, you know, one of his key leaders. And, um, I just said, you know, as we go through the spring, I want you to think about two things. Number one, this, this expectation, the standard with which we're going, it's behavioral. But the second is I'm never going to be Brad Lominick. Are you okay with that? that's what you need to wrestle with. And I was like, not because I don't love Brad, but I'm not Brad mm-hmm. and I lead differently. And so in the other th- kind of stream that happened, Jeff, as I was, and uh, Kevin, I was sitting at catalyst Atlanta that first year that I was in charge, quote unquote. Uh, those are air quotes because you never know, feel in charge. <laughs> um, and I remember sitting there thinking about what catalyst was known for. Catalyst had always been known for experience guys getting shot out of the camp. I mean, just kind of the cra well, the crazier, the better. Right. And that's not my wiring which is hard, because that's what Catalyst was built off for 14 years. And I remember thinking, I am a pastor first. I remember when Brad interviewed me, I said, Brad, I'm a pastor first. If you're okay with that, if that fits within the scope of what you see me doing, great. But, and I remember telling Julie Arnold the same thing when I came from Athens Church to Brownsbridge. Mm -hmm. She was like, I want you to be the service programming director. I said, well, I want to be a pastor first if I can do the service programming through a pastoral way that I'm in. Mm -hmm. And I remember sitting in the arena and I remember thinking everybody remembers catalyst. Wow. Moments. They weren't necessarily talks or they weren't necessarily content. It was the guy getting shot out of a cannon. It was mm-hmm. the guy jumping into the pool of eight inches of water. It was those kind of carnival type, crazy cool. But I remember people always remembering those. And I thought, Lord, if you want me to steward a movement of that, I'm not the guy. Now I'm a journey guy and I love programming. That's what I came up through, but it's got to make sense on the journey. And I said, but Lord, if you want me to steward a movement where I get to bring spiritual leaders in a room and let them meet with you, I can do that. Mm -hmm. I can pastor pastors and lead leaders. I love that. Um, and, And one of those moments for me, Jeff, was, and this is such a small moment, but I took a picture of the North Point staff for a serve day one time, and John Woodall came up to me, and he said, Tyler, I don't think I've ever seen too many people that just aren't intimidated by other leaders. Like, you just come in and, like, all right, I need you to do this. I need you to go here. But they don't... If I was intimidated by other leaders, I'm in the wrong job because we hang out with some of the most world-class leaders everybody yeah. knows, and the only starstruck person I've ever been was with Tony Hawk, but that's because I grew up riding a That's it, okay? So give me... But anyway, so I think it's just a combination of those two things. What culture did I want to change? And then what is... How do I lead Catalyst the best? It's not a... And I'm assuming if God put me in that position then it has to be connected with how he wants to lead the movement. So um, those were two thoughts for me. And then it started from there. Okay, now what, what else needs to change? What does the brand look like? We redid the logos. Just things like that came from a place of going,
1: it's 14 years old. We need some some change. Mm-hmm. And that requires courage. Yeah. Because not everyone loves change. No. And there was a few people that didn't like it. <laughs> That's typically when you know it's working. I guess. <laughs> if so. everybody likes it, oh that's something wrong here. Yeah. And and plus you've you know, you're changing something that has had a track record of success. It's one thing to yeah. go, Oh, this thing's going downhill. Right, right, right. But you're trying to create momentum, greater momentum and, and to 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 And do you have to do it way. before
2: it collapses. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's
1: the it's the whole U shape, yep. you know change theory so as you've done this uh what are some things you would go oh, I'm so these are two things i'm so glad that we did yeah. specifically
2: i probably have more that i would say i wish i didn't do but um i, I do think choosing people first across the board so not just uh, behind the scenes but in in front too like i i here's one thing i know about the event business and i used to say this when i was at brownsbridge with just our production team i'd say listen if the staff gets stressed, the volunteers are gonna get stressed. If the volunteers get stressed, everybody's gonna feel it. Mm-hmm. Same in the event business. And so one example is my operations director, um, one of the people that moved on about six months in had been the operations director for eight years, ten, I mean, tons of experience. But I knew that there are two people that dictate the tone of our events, and it was me and the operations person. Because the operations person gets uptight, if they get angry, if they're constantly like... But if they're calm and they're servant-minded, that's a win for everybody involved. And the two of us dictate the tone of our staff, and then our staff dictate the tone of the volunteers, and all the way down to... The attendees feel it. You know that. The attendees feel it when the top is uptight, when the top is not in a good place. And so um, the person... I had about 10 candidates, and one of them... Um, happened to be six months or five months pregnant at the time. This was leading into our Catalyst Atlanta event. So we were, if she was the right person, that was not a great scenario because we had our biggest event of the year and we were gonna have to basically go, we're gonna have to wait for her. And I just knew she was the right person. She carried the DNA, it was a long play. And I I think that's a big part of this conversation. It was a long play. And she said she recalls a meeting with all of us, getting in her car crying, going there's no way they're gonna hire. Because she knew the same thing. She knew that it was going to be four months before she could even show up in the building. Mm-hmm. And she goes, there's no way, but that's the job I'm supposed to have. And I knew she was the right person. Mm-hmm. So we just figured it out. And I called her a few weeks later and I said, I want you to have the job. She's like, you're kidding, right? And I was like, no, because you're the right person. We'll figure out this next four months. And that's one of the best decisions I've ever made. She has been a rock for us. And again, one of the biggest reputation changes is people have come to our event. And they're like, it seems so calm. That's not coincidence. Mm-hmm. That's because we've hired the right people to create the right culture. And, um, and that allows leaders, if it's tense, we're taking from them again. But if they come in and they're not feeling this tension, they feel calm, then their hearts are open to hear what, what, whatever you know, message or thing they've gotta say. So that was one, uh, one big thing for me. Another positive is just, I don't care what you do publicly, it's how you, how you build the brand privately. For me, it was going face-to-face. I went for a year and a half face-to-face with every speaker and major sponsor. And I just got to know them. And I said, hey, Mm -hmm. what? I don't know what your experience has been like. How do we serve you better? How do we partner with you better? Are there ways that that you've always gone? Because there were some times that sponsors were like, yeah, we feel like you guys always get the best end of the deal. And we did. But when you go to them and go, hey, did you ever feel like we always got the best end of the deal? Their face was like, I can't believe you're saying that. (laughs) But that that private, it's, it's the public loyalty, private, but it's, you get private leverage for these people. They're with you. Mm -hmm. And so for me to develop relationships as the quote unquote director or whatever, they were like, I can't believe you flew out here just to meet with us for two hours. Mm -hmm. It was worth it. Yeah. because they've been with us a long time now. And um, so I think it's a couple of those decisions. And then we made some bad ones along the way. We've really messed up a few of those. One, One of those I'll tell you about is we got rid of Catalyst Dallas and, that event was working. There was a lot of things that didn't feel great about it. Mm-hmm. But if I were to look back at it again, I'd go, mm-hmm. i go, I might've kept that one for a couple more years, you know, mm-hmm. but that was a business decision that you're trying to kind of make your best you know, decision on. And, and uh, that's one that I was like, eh, if I had that one back, I'd probably do that one again. Well, but that's what's going to happen, right? When yeah. you make these decisions. Well, well leadership is guessing.
1: You know, <laughs> you're guess, you're, it's guesswork in many, in many respects. So you got the book coming out. You got Catalyst coming out. Yeah. <laughs> you got a lot lot happening. I'd love to talk, have you talk to us about launching the book. What are principles that you've learned? Because now, this is your first book so this is you know you're you're kind of learning as you go yeah. but whether if you're if you're not ever going to write a book um, you can still learn from what Tyler's about to say with the organization you're launching the the church you're leading however this are general launching principles yeah. whether it's a book or not that you can learn from so what are some things that you've learned as you've gone through this process
2: you know this was again I, I mentioned earlier this this I never would have dreamed of getting to do something like this and most people I don't think end up writing a book because they it's such an overwhelming seeming project. But when you realize most of them take between a year and a half and two years to fully accomplish, you can do that. You know, you can do that. I remember my wife, she's more of a planner, I'm not shocker, but she was like, if you do this many words every day, and I was like, I just looked at her, I was like, that's not gonna happen. (laughs) Um, For me, it was, you know, even just the writing, people were like, you have somebody else write it. I was like, not the first time, I really feel like I need to go through this process. And again, as someone who's not, I'm telling you on the right path, I'm off the charts unstructured. So this is not, this was not an easy thing for me to do. However, it came out of a place of going, I want to help people. And um, I feel like because, you know, I used to coach teams all the time, this is the stuff I would do. Like it's, so it's just kind of trying to put it in into words. And then the other great thing was I've never had a team help take a first draft and make it better. All of my first drafts in school were the last draft. So it's like, it's nice to have a team to help do that. What, I had a little bit of an advantage, and I'm going to be real honest with it, is the world I live in, we work with all the publishers. I've watched book launches for a long, long time. But here's what I do know. I've talked to enough authors that feel like they let the publishers make way more decisions than they did. If I didn't believe in the cover, if I didn't believe in the box I want to put together, if, if we weren't fighting for the right things, I would have a harder time being excited about it. But throughout the process, this is I had to remember this is mine mm-hmm. book. This is my IP. This is my like the publisher is the team that's helping get it out there. And they're going to have very specific ideas. But at the end of the day, it's their names on the side. Guess whose name's on the bottom? That's mine. I want to be proud of it. And even back to the cover design, we had we had designed our team had never designed a book cover. We designed it. They Everybody was kind of pushing back. But what I also knew was most of the people pushing back were not my target audience, age-wise. And I also knew almost – I could have told you what their covers would have looked like. Almost every leadership book has no real great design to it. It's big words and big letters and one or two colors. And I'm not saying that's bad design. I'm just saying that. I just did not want that. I wanted it to be something that felt a little bit younger and a little bit more me. Mm-hmm. And so we designed six, and then they were like, hey, we're going to design six. And I'm like, great. And I could have, t- again, they looked exactly what I thought. They weren't bad, they just looked like I thought. And then I pushed, I kept fighting going, I want this one. And they were like, and I, th- I think this was them kind of throwing me a bone, they were like, let's do a crowd survey just to see. It wasn't even close, because we know our audience. There's just those kind of times when you're launching any product, mm-hmm. is it's gotta still be centered around your passion why you started the thing. And if, if you feel like it's getting off course because people that you've brought in get it off course, stand up for yourself and just go, you know what? I want to believe in this. And every time I look at it, I don't want to remember. I wish I wouldn't have given up on that. So that was a huge part for me is just going, I want along the way to feel like this is me. It's got my DNA in it. It's got my feel. And then obviously when the subtitle is leading from your truest self, I had Mm -hmm. to make sure that was me (laughs) Mm -hmm. because I had a bunch of my team read it going, as you read this, you need to tell me if I do these things because that there's nothing worse to me than reading a book from somebody. Then you go, did somebody else write this for you? <laughs>
1: well, yeah, that's that's another reason to write the book yourself. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, leading from your truest self, ghostwriter. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, no, that's awesome.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I, well, one thing I got from that just listening, really, was the idea of saying you have to kind of draw your lines. And I think that for for many launchers, we teach on this podcast talk a lot about empathy. Yeah, uh, and making sure you're really trying to lock and people you're serving, and you know that became a line for you. Hey, I'm here to serve these particular yep. people. If we're going to make a decision that's not, it's going to hinder me from connecting with those people, yep. I'm going to have to fight. And, and that's a part of it. And I think that as all, all of us as launchers with my different personalities, You yep. said, might be a little more creative, might be a little bit more structured. Uh, I think there's something to be said about Trying to recognize when to be flexible, yeah. and when to do that. And for me personally, that's just a that's just a big encouraging word because sometimes I don't pick the right fights, yeah. Uh, and and I think it's important for all of us to kind of keep that front of front of my mind.
1: And you could have, as a first time author, said, "Well, what do I know what I'm doing?" Exactly. I think I'm just gonna just back off, yeah. And so, but to Kevin's point, you have to know when the right battles are. That's right. And, and Kevin, I would be remiss. I mean, you are an expert, and I mean, you you've launched the start book with, with John Cuff, which right. I think, outside of Tyler's launch, <laughs> was the greatest book launch I've ever seen. So, what, what are you. some things that you've learned in terms of like a book launch or whatever?
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think I think for me personally, the big, I mean, I'm, I'm usually contracted by the author, and not by the publisher, so that, that doesn't matter. And so for me, I'm, I'm a big author advocate. And um, for anybody who's thinking about doing a book, I think it's a really big opportunity, because one of the rare moments in a communicator or consultant of your life where a third-party organization is completely financially motivated right. to see you and the message that God has given you to go out in front of other people. Right. And so it's an opportunity to say, yeah, what? what's my long-term play? Those are short-term project for the publisher. This is usually a long-term play for the author. And I think what happens to a lot of authors, is they start to get short-term thinking, like mm-hmm. how to hit a list. I'm like, well, that's great. I want you to hit a list, but that might last a week. Mm -hmm. Right. And our in our 20, our new cycle will forget about it and you'll be proud of yourself, but it's going to feel very short lived. But what would happen when you're done selling that book and it hits those 30,000, 50,000, 10,000, 5,000, 500 people, if they can do you forever, like like, like a long term relationship was forged because of how your book transformed them. Well, that could grow your organization forever. That could be, your that could become your next 500 most loyal customers, mm-hmm. you know? And so for me, I think it's really been about helping authors think, okay, yes, when the publisher wants to win and you want them to win, you want to sell your book, but please, please, please think beyond this launch because this is someone paying on your behalf to introduce you to other people for the first time. And, that this is the first impression and what are you going to do to leverage that yeah. opportunity? So that's my big thought about it. I mean, like I said, because people think about book sales and there's tons of techniques I could talk about that, right. but I think for me, that, that's my big one. I'm like, man, if you, for, for Dave Ramsey um, and Tony Robbins, people I got to work with and kind of learn from, that was both their mentalities. And so I got to walk in with people who thought when we do this book, what are we doing it for, for the next three or four years? Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think no one does it better than Dave Ramsey in that way. I mean, he, we always had a three year plan for every book and they almost always work.
1: That's so. great. Well, Tyler, how can we help you? Uh, book comes out September 18th. Okay. Yeah.
2: Um, again, Tyler Reagan.com is just kind of where uh, we do a newsletter and and just write leadership stuff consistently. Mm-hmm. But, Catalyst leaders, is really, uh, you know, my heartbeat. It's what, what I'm spending my days on, and, and we just want to serve uh, leaders. And, you know, Kevin, something you mentioned there too, like I talk about this all the time, but the truth is no matter how long you're in this game, serving people is going to be the top priority. I don't care what position you get to. That never excludes you from serving people. And your products need to serve people. Your, I mean, like if people know when your product exists to serve you. Mm-hmm. They just do. Mm-hmm. And so I think as we talk about all of this, I don't think you ever make a wrong decision when you're positioning others first. Mm. It just seems to help you make wiser decisions. So for me, again, it that's what, honestly the reason it took me five years to write it because I just didn't want it to be about me. Mm-hmm. I never wanted anybody to think I came to Catalyst for that. I never. But then I also had to, and part of what I talk about here is having confidence in your calling. There's a point where you have to go, I am the lead pastor of Gwinnett Church, and there's, mm-hmm. there's things that come with that that mm-hmm. require my, my confidence that, right.
1: God, you've called me to do this. Yeah. It's the balance of confidence and humility. It is. And that's that's what people want to follow. Yeah. Tylerreagan.com It's R.E.A.G.I.N. dot com. And if you're listening before Catalyst launches, tell yeah. us what's happening this year at Catalyst.
2: So our theme is fully alive, which is actually funny because we came up with that separate from this book. So it's kind of been cool that, you know, it's kind of weaved together in a way. But the idea is we want to raise up a gener- the next generation of whole leaders, Healthy relationally, spiritually, physically, mentally. So we're going to talk about mental health a little bit. We're going to talk about spiritual health. We're going to talk about how to live fully alive lives. I think so many of us um, live partly alive lives. Like Mm -hmm. there's parts of our lives, but I know even for me, I always tell our team we have to go first. So I went uh, to onsite back in January, which is like a week-long retreat, counseling retreat, because I feel like there's one or two areas that I grew up with or things that are just keeping that part of my life not fully alive. Well, mm-hmm. it's because I didn't want to deal with the pain of it. So, but it's a big deal that all of those areas are alive. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, we're going to, you know, gather thousands of leaders and talk about that. And you got a
1: full lo- roster of speakers. We do.
2: Yeah. So, um, Andy Stanley, Craig Rochelle, Dr. Caroline leaf, Tyler Perry is going to be with us. Um, Devon Franklin, who's a, pr- a movie producer, Christine Kane. Um, uh, who else is going to be with us? Uh, Lisa Bevere, um, I heard Scott so Harrison's going to be with Scott you. Scott Harrison? Yeah, yeah, so I'm interviewing Tyler Perry and Scott. They're, they're friends. Scott Harrison runs Charity Water. Mm-hmm. They're friends, and we're just going to talk about, in their spheres, how have they find found the ability to be fully alive and what's that look like? And so it's it's really fun. You know that. We love to do – we'll have pastors for sure, but most of it is business leaders potentially, you know, um, entertainment space, just people that are living in different spheres. How have they figured out this concept in those spheres so that it relates to everybody that comes? Mm-hmm. Well, thanks for doing this. Of course. Congrats on all this,
1: and we're just very, very proud of well, you.
2: you know I'd it. do anything for you, Jeff, because you really are. I mean, and I'm I'm really not just saying that. Kevin, you might be this, too, and David, you might as well, but Jeff is a life-giving leader. He's been that for me. He has example that for me. And um, I write this book knowing that I've watched this through people, and, yep. Jeff, you have been one of those. So thanks for modeling that. Thank you, man. Thank you.
0: Yeah, well, and, and you know what? One message out there. So uh, if – on on the launch day which well when this podcast comes out so that's going to be the Thursday uh, after the book comes out we are going to post a photo on our instagram uh, about the book, so just give me a heads up right now, so if you go to Instagram, you're going to see an image, and if you comment in there, and maybe talk about a leader that inspired you, uh, we'll give you a free copy, so we'll so we'll, we'll pay, I'll, I'll personally pay for you to get a copy <laughs> of the Life Giving Leader, All um, you need just go to Launch University uh, on Instagram, and you'll find the image of Tyler in the book, and then we'll uh, get you a copy, so we're going to select one person from the comments, so um, if it's five of you, then look, you just have a one out of five <laughs> chance of winning, but the key thing we do, I mean, we do want, to, we believe in reading first of all on this team we believe that uh books can transform your life and um you know you might, you might say hey i wish i could be mentored by tyler well he put five years of his effort and his words right. and his experience into this book um it's an opportunity for you to learn from him and get more time with him today so we'd love for you to get that opportunity just go to our instagram page and find the, the image and the cap uh, um, make a comment in the section there
1: and before we let you go kevin we are coming up on the 100th Launch University wow. episodes. We so. are. Congrats. Where, where are we? Do, we? do we know Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. So what, we, <laughs> so for what we're doing is uh, we're, we're answering your questions. So we're going to spend the 100th episode really just answering as many of your questions as we can get our hands on. Many of you have reached out about personally being either mentored or having a question and we get questions from you when we see you and we're going to spend all of our time actually answering your questions in our, kind of our first ever community Q&A um, and we're going to select a few people, maybe one or two or three, to actually win elevator pitch, which is our which is our course all about how to pitch awesome. and present. And we love to give that to you. But how do you do that? You actually leave us a voicemail. So if you go to Launch University, that's yuuniversity. forward slash question. We have three ways you can leave a voicemail. So if you if be anonymous, you can fill out a form. But we want voicemails. We want to hear your voice uh, and get to hear your story. So if you can do that, we would love to highlight you on the one hundredth episode of the podcast.
1: David Farmer just showed me that we're at
0: 94. I work. I mean, we're cranking, which
1: is 89 more than we thought we would do. When we started.
2: So I think whoever right. asks questions or sends those in should ask Jeff about Georgia football. I just I'm just saying, if you want, especially now, if you want to get Jeff talking about something that he's going to get passionate about, Georgia football should be in that conversation. Right.
1: Go dogs. Well, as always, thanks for being a part of the Launch University community. Kevin said it well, so just go do whatever Kevin said and go lead like Tyler said, and we'll see you next time here at Launch University.
0: Thanks for listening to the Launch University podcast. We hope it's helped you move from go-getter to difference maker. Be sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave a review. For more helpful resources, visit launchuniversity.com.